morning. We're continuing our study in the book of Luke. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 6. That's where we're going to be today. And if you don't have a Bible this morning, if you look on your row, there should be a couple Bibles there that are available. If you don't have a Bible, put your name in that one. That's yours. Take it home. We want you to be able to have a Bible to go along with us every week as we get into God's Word. Well, if you haven't been with us, then... um, You haven't been able to enjoy this study that we're doing through the book of Luke. And so we're taking it slowly our way through each chapter verse by verse. Uh, The series we're calling Good News for Everyone because the author of this gospel account, Luke, is really making it a point to show that Jesus is the Savior of all mankind. Um, No matter your background, no matter your upbringing, that you can come to Jesus and find salvation. And so last week we got to this moment where Jesus has chosen the 12, the 12 that among all his disciples were going to be the apostles, the ones that would carry out his message and be the leaders within the church as it went out, those who most of which would die for their faith. But after he's chosen these 12, he comes down from the mountain and he begins to share this message, the greatest sermon ever preached, some would say. It's, it's the Sermon on the Plain, Matthew's account. It's the, the Sermon on the Mount, which we believe is just a, a similar version of the same message, just in a different place at a different time. And last week, we spent time just diving into these four blessings. And we're calling these the kingdom paradoxes, right? That These statements of Jesus that look like they don't make sense, that seem very confusing on the surface, but when we dig in, when we look at them with an eternal mindset, when we understand the context of these things taking place by those who are following Jesus and are experiencing these for his namesake, we begin to see how true they really are. But we left off last week looking at these four blessings. This morning we're going to look at the four woes. But just to give context, we're going to start back at um, verse 20 so that we can get them all in context together. So you can follow along with me. Luke 6 beginning in verse 20. Here's what we read. Then he lifted up his eyes toward his disciples and said, Blessed are you poor. For yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and cast out your name as evil. For the Son of Man's sake, rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for indeed your reward is great in heaven. For in like manner... Their fathers did to the prophets. And then we come to our text this morning. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. Let's pray this morning as we begin. God, as we come before your word this morning, as we look at what we're calling these these statements of you that are the kingdom paradox of your kingdom that is so different from the kingdom of this world, God, we pray that you would give us um, spiritual eyes to see the truth within this text. 
God, we pray that you would uh, give us the ability, Lord, to live for your kingdom. Lord, we thank you that in your kingdom, all can come to salvation through what Jesus has done. That it doesn't take enough good works, that it doesn't take some kind of performance. It simply takes faith in your finished work. God, we pray this morning as we look at these woes, that we would have open minds and hearts, that we'd be willing to let your Holy Spirit show us where maybe we begin to fall into some of these categories ourselves, and that we might be corrected and instructed this morning, so that we might leave here walking in alignment with your kingdom principles, following in your footsteps for your glory. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Well, if you want to take notes this morning and write down a title, you can write this down. Nothing too creative or clever this morning. It's just the kingdom paradox part two. Last week, we looked at the blessings. This morning, we're going to look at the woes. And what you'll see, what you just saw as we read through it, is that these woes are directly contrasted to those blessings. That last week, we were reading about those who were blessed who hunger, but this week, we're reading about the woes to those who are full. And the blessing that came with those who mourned, and now the woe that comes with those who laugh, and so on and so forth. And so... It's a direct contrast of what we saw last week, and we're going to see just as much on the surface, it seems hard to understand, but when we begin to dig in, we see it's just as true. And the first of these woes is, woe to you who are rich now. Now, I want to explain this term woe because it's not exactly a term we use very often, right? You're not walking up to friends like, oh, woe is you because you fill in the blank. It's, it's not part of our common language today to use this phrase. Um, but it's a word that means to lament or to mourn, to, to grieve or to be in a state of hardship and distress, And it was often used, especially in the Old Testament, by prophets that the Lord would send with a message, a message to people who had hard hearts, a message to people who were building up idols for themselves that they would worship or who had strayed from the truth. And this prophet would come with a message that's like, woe to you if you don't repent. There's a coming grief and and destruction that will happen if you don't turn from these wicked ways, if you don't surrender and submit to the Lord, if you don't humble yourself. So they use this term, woe to you, because there's judgment coming. It may be good in this moment, but that's not going to last. Last week, our word was blessed. Blessed are the people who do this and this and this and this. This week, if you wanted to put one word in there, you could actually Put in the word cursed, it's pretty fitting. That cursed is the one who laughs, who is rich, who is full, who is spoken well of by all. Because no matter how they might be experiencing their current reality, what awaits them is intense hardship and distress if there's not a change of action. And he starts by saying, woe to you who are rich. 
And some of you are going, wait, 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 wait. What exactly is the number that if I hit in my bank account, all of a sudden I've gone from being blessed to being cursed? What is, is this just a general statement if I make a certain amount? And surely that's not what he's talking about. We could look at all sorts of different men and women in Scripture, godly men and women in Scripture, who were wealthy. Men like Abraham and Isaac and David, Job even, or Lydia, people who followed the Lord and and walked in His ways, but who were wealthy. Surely it's not just condemning all riches in and of themselves. Can we agree this morning that that riches in and of themselves are not evil, they're neutral. It's just a tool that can be used for good or for evil. But what he's really speaking to here is your relationship to those riches. See, 1 Timothy 6 talks about this. It's a, a verse that's often misquoted, but it says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith and their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And a lot of people just like to say, money's the root of all evil. But it's not what the verse says. That's not what he's saying here in Luke chapter 6 to the people that day. He's saying the love of money is the root of all evil. When, When those goods become your God, then there's a problem. And realize that money is spoken to probably a lot more than, than you think in Scripture. Money is spoken of in Scripture more than prayer and faith combined. Money is spoken of in Scripture more than heaven and hell combined. Jesus himself constantly spoke about money and our relationship to it. Money is what got between Judas and Jesus. What did he betray Jesus for? For money. And it's what's spoken spoken of in Matthew chapter 6 as being at odds with God for our service. In Matthew 6, 24, it says this, that no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, another word they had for your riches, your wealth. You can't serve both. One will be your master, and the other, by default, you won't be serving. Your life cannot be a constant, unrelenting pursuit of money and wealth and riches And at the same time, be surrendered to a life that pursues Christ and leaves all to follow him. Remember last week he said, blessed are you who are poor. Why were those disciples poor? Because when he said, come and follow me, they left all and they followed him. They didn't say, well, can I get my retirement built up first? Well, can I talk with my accountant and get my money wired over wherever we're heading? Let me just kind of compile all my goods first and then I'll... They left all and they followed him. And it's crucial we understand that in our flesh, in this world, this will always be a battle. None of us have arrived at this point where this this is no longer a struggle and it will never be something I have to wrestle with. And as as long as you're this side of heaven, it's going to be a battle. 
It's going to be a wrestle to keep money in its proper place, to see it how God sees it as a tool, not good or evil, but something that we're called to steward well. One, one of my favorite pastors, Skip Heidsick, here's what he said about our possessions, our money. He said, the problem is not with possessing money, but when money possesses you. I was reading about John Rockefeller this week. At one time was the richest man in the world, an oil tycoon. And he was asked by a journalist at the peak of his wealth. Nobody had more money than him. He was asked this, how much money is enough? You'd think the guy that has the most probably has the answer. Well, here was his answer. Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Oh, he's got more than anyone else in the world, but he just needs a little bit more. And you know what was interesting is that at his death, his accountant was asked how much he left behind. Now, obviously, we're expecting a numerical value, right? How much did he leave behind? But I love his accountant's answer. His response was, he left all of it behind. I love that. How much did he leave behind exactly? Well, he he left all of it. He didn't take any with him. It doesn't matter how much it was. It doesn't matter how big that number got to. He couldn't take a penny with him when he died. He left all of it. But this isn't unique to John Rockefeller's story. In fact, I was reading an article put out by a Harvard psychologist in 2020. And they surveyed a few thousand of the most wealthy people in the world. So this is more than just one man. We've got a much more broad uh, study that took place here. And they were asking this question. How much did people need to be perfectly happy? A few thousand of the wealthiest people, when asked this question, they found that 75% of them, three-fourths of the group, who had a net worth of around $10 million or more on average, said they'd need a whole lot more than what they had to be perfectly happy. And when asked for a, a value on that, most of them said somewhere between 5 and $10 million more than what they currently had. So basically close to double what they currently had is how much more they'd need to be happy. I wish they could have gotten in a room with John Rockefeller who had more than double what they had and was saying, I still need a little bit more. So if you think you're going to arrive when you get there, it's just going to get pushed out further and it's going to be a little more and a little more never satisfied. The richest man in the world says he needs a little more. The people that are far behind him say, we need a lot more. But nobody knows what that number is because nobody's arrived at that place where they've said, I think I finally have enough. And the reality is it doesn't matter where you are on the financial spectrum this morning, it will never be enough to make you perfectly happy. Jesus says, woe to you who are rich. Woe to you who are rich because you've received your consolation. And it is a pursuit that often distracts people from a better pursuit of Christ. Also in Matthew 6, 
He said this about the rich man. Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. It's difficult. It is hard because in that pursuit, you're never fully satisfied. And if you wait to follow God until you've arrived at the end of that pursuit, you'll never get there. And the more you gain, the more you have to lose, and the less likely you are to be willing to lay it down for Christ. What happened when a rich young man came to Jesus and said, what do I need to do? Oh no, I've done it all. What else do I need to do? And Jesus says, you need to go and you need to sell all your stuff, and then you need to come and follow me. And what do we see him doing? Walking away saddened because he had great possessions. And he's grown to love those possessions. And the thought of giving all that up caused sadness in his heart. C.S. Lewis said this, that prosperity knits a man to the world. He feels that he is finding his place in it when really it is finding its place in him. I finally belong. I finally matter. I'm finally arriving. And all that's happening is that you're getting more of this world in you and less of the kingdom that we're supposed to be living for and belonging to. You see, these are two different kingdoms these people are living for here. And one is blessed and one has a declaration that, whoa, there's destruction and despair and grief coming for you. There's a kingdom you can live for now that You're receiving your consolation, he says. All the benefits of that kingdom, you better enjoy them right now because you'll get them in this lifetime and that's it. You're not taking any of it with you when you die. And this is the real heart of the matter in our text regarding riches. He's saying to those who are rich now that those who don't feel like they're lacking anything, that they've got what they need, Those who find a sense of power or security and pride based on what they've stored up, that's all you get out of that, and it's only for this moment right now. There's no lasting satisfaction or comfort, and it's a direct contrast to the promise for those who were poor last week, whose inheritance was the kingdom of God whose inheritance was eternal and something we look forward to. Instead, he says, man, time's running out for you. If this is your kingdom and you're living for these things, man, every day you're one day closer to losing it all. And it doesn't matter how much you have, it's not going to be enough. It's a nice way of saying what James says in chapter 5 when this is what he He exhorts the rich people with, he says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you, and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. He says, You should weep and you should howl. Because all the things that you are living for, that you have gained, and James would go on to say, you've gained them dishonestly. You've taken advantage of your fellow man to get those riches. You should have loved 
people, and you should have just used those riches as a tool, but you're loving riches and you're using people like a tool to get more of them. He says, your misery is coming. Those things are going to be destroyed. It's corroding. Your clothes, they're getting moth-eaten. It's going to all be destroyed one day, and it's not going to matter. He says, you've heaped up treasure for yourself in the last days. Like that fool who, who brought up for himself bigger barns to fit more things, and then his day came. And how foolish was that man who stored up bigger barns to fit more wealth that he would never get to spend or use or enjoy. But before you dismiss yourself from this conversation, because I know what a lot of us like to do, right? We go, I'm no John Rockefeller. I mean, heck, I don't even think I'm, I'm anywhere close to the top 30 or 40 or 50 percent of the wealthy people in this world. So none of this applies to me. I want to read to you a a stat according to the 2018 Global Wealth Report. If you have $4,210 to your name, if you could scrounge up that money even by selling a car and getting rid of your iPhone and losing your smartwatch, and if you could get up to $4,210 to your name, you're still richer than half of the world's residents. You're wealthier than 50% of the world if you can just scrounge up $4,210. If you have a smartphone, a car, and a place to live, you have more to your name than 90% of the world. But those three things, smartphone, a car, and a place to live. I love what one pastor summarized these kind of stats to say, he said, realize this, you're someone's Bill Gates. That you may look and say, I don't have much money, I don't have much wealth, and yet compared to 50% of the world, you're killing it. Man, you are wealthy. You are well off. And here's the danger. Is that you don't have to have a lot of money to have an unhealthy relationship to it. I've seen people that have more money than I'll ever have who have an incredibly healthy relationship to money, and I've seen people who have little to nothing, and yet money consumes them. doesn't matter how much you have, you can still have an unhealthy relationship to it. But here's another thing we need to note is that the word used here for rich in our Bibles, it could literally be just translated in abundance of something. It doesn't have to just be money. It's whatever you have an abundance of that you are finding your comfort, your pleasure, your security, and your hope in apart from Christ. And when you have an unhealthy relationship to that thing, when you depend too much on that thing, It's going to let you down someday. It's going to fail you in the end. And specifically, if we look at this, in light of the text we look at last week, when we saw, blessed are those who are poor, we also remembered that in Matthew's account, the Sermon on the Mount, that there's a a little qualifier there, isn't there? It's just, it's not just poor, it was poor in spirit. And so here, if we're going to think of that as well, this isn't just woe to you who are 
rich, but woe to you who are rich, or, or we could even translate that prideful in spirit, to think you've got it all together and you're good enough on your own and I don't really need Jesus' help and I've kind of figured it out and I've done enough good deeds, I'm a good enough person, I've gone to church and said my prayers and, and I'm rich in spirit, I don't, I don't need any help in this. Well, the blessing came to the one who realized I am bankrupt. I am desperate. I am in need of a Savior, and I have no hope apart from Christ. Here, the woe, the grief and destruction that are coming are to the person who doesn't recognize their need for a Savior. The person that doesn't understand how bad they have it and how much they need His help. He says, you have your consolation. You've received it. And that word for consolation in Greek, it's parakleo. It's the word from which we get our biblical word parakletos for the Holy Spirit, the comforter. And he's saying to those who have based all of their comfort, their strength, their hope and help in times of grief and trouble in their riches, in their abundance, in their ability to be good enough on their own, that there is a day coming when those things can't bring you comfort anymore. They can't be your helper anymore. They can't protect you. They can't keep you safe. They cannot carry you any further than the grave. The money will be spent up or given to someone else. The clothes will be donated or ripped up. The house will be sold, the car will get totaled, and you can't take them with you. All of that comfort and that security, it's temporary and it's insufficient. So rightly said, woe to those whose hope is in these things, whose security is in these things, because it's got a timer and it's running out. We could ask the very very pressing question of Matthew 16, 26. What profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will man give in exchange for his soul? Ultimately, what profit does it have for you? You want to pursue it for 20, 30, 40 years of pleasure and then spend an eternity in torment? What profit was that? That's a terrible deal. How much better to go without the things for the 20 or 30 or 40 years so that you can experience for eternity the riches of heaven in the kingdom of God. Woe to those who are rich. He moves on now to say, woe to you who are full. What is Jesus getting at here? First it's a woe to the rich, but now it's a woe to those who just have a warm meal for dinner every night. Well, we looked last week at those who hungered that were blessed by the Lord. And as we look at this idea of those who are full this side of heaven, those who are satisfied and content with the things of this world, I was reading a story this week, an illustration of this idea that I want to read with you. It says, There was a duck that was flying with his flock in the springtime northward across Europe. During the flight, he came down in a Danish backyard where there were some tame ducks. 
He enjoyed some of their corn. He stayed for an hour, then for a day, then for a week, and then for a month. And finally, because he relished the good fare and safety of the barnyard, he stayed all summer. But one autumn day when the flocks of wild ducks were making their way southward again, they passed over the barnyard and the duck heard their cries. He was stirred with a strange thrill of joy and delight, and with a great flapping of his wings, he rose into the air to join his old friends in their flight. He found, however, that all his goodies had made him soft and heavy, and that he could no longer rise any higher than the eaves of the barn. And so he dropped back again to the barnyard and said to himself, Oh well, my life is safe here, and the food is good. But every spring and autumn, when he heard the wild ducks calling, his eyes would gleam for a moment. And he would begin to flap his wings again, until finally the day came when the wild ducks flew over and uttered their cry, but he paid not the slightest attention to them. His contentment with his laziness caused him to embrace a life of mediocrity and to settle for the backyard of the barn instead of flying free with the ducks. Who knew that a story of a duck could apply so well to us when we become full? But that's the reality of those who have grown so comfortable with the things of this world and so lazy in their discipline of choosing to turn their eyes towards things above, not towards things on earth, and to deny themselves and take up their cross and follow Christ. The duck had become content and complacent and settled for something so much less than what he has experienced before. And the longer he went through this process, the the more comfortable he became where he was, the less inclined he was to even turn up his head and look up and even think about the life he once had experienced. Church, may we never become so satisfied with the temporary pleasures of this world so consumed with the things of this life that we no longer hunger for the things above. That we never, no longer long for our home in heaven. You see, in some ways, I think the disciples had it good in that they went without so much that we all get to enjoy today that heaven was still a place they deeply desired and longed for. For so many of us, we've grown so comfortable with the things of this world. We have, we have life so good and so void of any kind of discomfort and struggle and pain and sorrow that we, we look towards heaven like, yeah, I guess it'll be nice. I mean, it's, it's better than the alternative of hell, I suppose, but that's not how we read heaven described in Scripture, man. These, these guys longed for heaven. When Paul's sitting in prison and understanding He might be at death's door. He's like, man, it would be far better for me if I could just die and be with the Lord. That's what I desire. But since I think it's probably better for you guys that I stay, I'm sure he's going to allow me to live on so I can help you guys, and that's good for you. Like, there's no struggle within Paul that's like, I don't know, 
my Tempur-Pedic is calling my name. I'm in the middle of a really good Netflix show, and, and I've got my Uber's going to be here to take me to that delicious steak dinner pretty soon. So there was no struggle between the comforts of this world and what was awaiting him at his eternal home in heaven. He wanted to be there, and he longed for that place, and he desired as soon as possible to be with the Lord, to be absent from this body. But how many of us struggle with that idea? When we think about leaving this earth and going to heaven, and we're like, I'd actually like to stay here a little longer. This is pretty good. It's pretty comfortable. And I've got a lot of good friends here, and there's still good places to, to go explore and food to eat. I'm, I'm kind of comfortable here. And like the duck that's grown fat and lazy and soft, we've just stopped looking up and saying, Lord, I long to be with you. God, I long for the day I get to be in heaven. Here we're told, woe to those who have grown full. To those that say, no, this is enough. I'm not hungering for a life that is to come. I'm not longing for more in the presence of Christ. I'm, I'm good with what I have here and now. Those who are willing to give up the best of what they could experience for what is easy and readily available today. And isn't that how so much of our culture exists right now? I don't need the really good quality thing. If I can get the kind of cheap thing in two days, I'll take that. I have to wait a month for that. It's not worth it. I'll just get the, the thing that'll break and I'll buy another one in two months. Let me, let me get that one, right? We just want the quick fix now. But here we read, woe to those who are full. Why? Because there will come a day they hunger again. And it may not be until the very end of their life when they stand before the Lord and they realize how much they were lacking. And then forever are separated from His glory and His goodness and all that could have been experienced for eternity because they were content, they were satisfied, they were full of just the things of this world, the temporary pleasures. I'm struck by Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9. It says, Remove falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Now, I'm sure many of you have prayed that prayer, Lord, do not give me poverty. How many of you have ever prayed the other part of that prayer, nor riches? You're like, I mean, I could figure it out. If you want to give me riches, like, I'm good with that. Just don't give me poverty. But I love this. Don't give me riches nor poverty. I don't want to be so broke that I'm desperate enough I might try and steal and defame your name. But I don't want to be so wealthy and rich that I stop looking to you and trusting in you and following you and seeing my desperate need for you to provide for me. And that's a prayer we should adapt. Excuse me, adopt. <laughs> we don't want to change it, but we want to pray it. Because woe to those who are full. Many of you know who Jim Carrey is, the comedian, the actor, um, 
you know, he had actually a pretty profound thing to say as a man who's known for saying pretty foolish things. Here's what he had to say. He said, I wish everybody could get rich and famous and have everything they ever dreamed of so they will know that it's not the answer. I don't know if he ever said a wiser thing in his entire life. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying, this is a man who was full of everything you could possibly want or dream of in this world, and he's recognizing I'm still hungry. It's not the answer. Jesus says, woe to those who are full of this world, of the things of this world. If they think that's enough, if they're satisfied in that, because if you're satisfied in that, you're never going to look for more. You're never going to look towards the Lord. You're never going to recognize the emptiness of this here and now and the need for a substance that's eternal. You know, those are some of the hardest people to reach with the gospel, aren't they? Do you know those people? The people that just, they have a good life, and they have a good family, and a good job, and a good home, and they're, they're good. No, I'm content. I'm, I'm satisfied. I don't, I don't need anything more. I'm happy with what I've got. In their eyes, they're full. Why would I possibly look to a Savior? What do I possibly have to need Him for? I've got everything I want and need right here and right now in this world. And how will they know any better if someone doesn't tell them? They've been fed the lie, that, that the, the dream that all you could possibly live for is to have that perfect family and home and job and live a pretty good life and be a good neighbor And leave behind some pretty good kids, and you did it. You made it. You nailed it. And how will they know how much they're listening? They're missing unless someone goes to them and tells them the truth. Do you know the most loving thing you can do for that person is is rock the boat? Is give them a little bit of bad news? Is help them look beyond the here and now to what's to come? And you might offend them, and you might anger them, you might upset them a bit. It might be a little bit of a confrontational conversation. But that's the most loving thing you can do so that that person might realize how much they're really missing. To help them see that no matter how good they might have it here and now, there is coming a day that it won't be enough and they're going to long for more. Woe to those who are full, because one day they will hunger again. He then moves on to say, woe to you who laugh now. And from the context, we get a clear understanding of those who laugh now are not those who just have a good sense of humor. It's not those who just have some joy and enjoyment in the life. Because last week he talked about when people hate you and exclude you, you should rejoice and jump for joy. You think those people aren't laughing? It's not laughter that's the issue. But last week we looked at people who are mourning, who are weeping. Why? Over their sin, over their desperation, over the destruction in the world. Those people are blessed when they mourn because there'll come a day they will laugh. Here he says, the person who laughs Now, the person who has a sense of careless indifference towards the things of God, their own sinfulness and the wickedness of the world around them, their need for salvation, 
people that laugh and scoff at that. Woe to those people. The people who have no shame or sorrow over their sin. There's no concern over the future or what will happen one day. Just a carefree pursuit of happiness and pleasure now in this moment. Just live, laugh, and love. Just have your best life now. Just do what feels good and live your own truth. And don't let anyone tell you what to do. Just follow your heart and all the other Pinterest-worthy quotes that are anything but helpful or true. He says, woe to those who just laugh now. It's all just one big party and time to just don't take anything or anyone too seriously Don't push back on anything. If they don't agree, who cares? Just kind of have a good time. It's just bread and circuses in Rome. It's just entertainment and pleasure. Just keep them busy with these things, the enjoyment for today. Don't think about tomorrow. It's the people that don't want to talk about what happens after they die. People that don't want to take responsibility for their actions and try and grow. People that don't want to have a true relationship with Christ and a life of substance that leaves behind a legacy worth living. People that don't think about anyone but themselves. Do you realize the more I've talked with people about the Lord and the more I've talked with people about what happens after you die, the more I'm realizing that, man, this describes so many people today in our world. People who just laugh now. People who just are living from one joke to the next. From one TV show to the next. That don't want to talk about serious things. No, if you're going to bring out that religious stuff and you're going to start talking about what happens when we die, I don't want to spend time with you. I don't want to talk about that. I want to keep it light. I want to stay on the surface. I just want to have a good time. If you want to get serious, if you want to talk about those real deep issues, like I don't want anything to do with it. But let me ask you this morning, because Jesus was looking at disciples when he talked about these things. So Christian, do you take this life seriously? Now, I'm all good with a time to laugh. Scripture tells us there's a time to laugh. I love a good sense of humor. I'm, I'm a sucker for a good dad joke once in a while. But there's a place and a time for laughter, and then there is a place and a time to be serious. To put laughing aside. Like when it comes to being unwilling to compromise the truth, or being persistent in sharing your faith, or being reverent in your pursuit of God and the way you represent Him in this world, there's a time you need to put off the laughing. We need to put the jokes aside, and we need to be serious. We need to be reverent. Does this faith of yours truly, down to your core, motivate your decisions and your pursuits in life? Does it dictate what you say yes and no to and how you spend every dollar that you make? Or is it all just a joke? Are you just casual about all of it? Because there will come a day that those who laughed their way through this life carefree are going to mourn for eternity and weep. 
and those who wept and mourned over their sin and their brokenness and the destruction that it's reaped on this world and those they know who have walked away from Christ are going to experience joy forevermore and pleasures in the presence of God. This is no laughing matter. Jesus says those who laugh now, those who aren't going to take this life seriously and own their mistakes and seek forgiveness and walk in repentance and do the harder thing, those who aren't willing to do that, it's gonna, there's going to come a day they're going to weep for eternity over that decision. But those who are serious here and now and understand that there are times I need to put off the humor. There are times I need to have the difficult conversations. There are times I need to own my mistakes. Those are people that are going to appreciate that decision for eternity. And finally, woe to you when all men speak well of you. And this might seem interesting at first because you're thinking as a Christian, I want to have a good name. I want to have a good reputation. I want to be a a man or a woman of integrity, and all that is true. But remember in the context what we're looking at here, that last week there were men who were excluded. There were men who were hated and reviled, and people spoke evil of their name for His name's sake because of the way they followed Jesus and carried His message. In the same way, there are people here who are going to be well spoken of by everyone. No exceptions. Everybody just speaks well of you. And if we're looking at this in contrast from last week, it's for the very opposite, right? They're speaking well of you because you're not doing things for His name's sake. You're doing things for your own name's sake. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 2 through 4 says, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. That kind of message that speaks to those with itching ears, that speaks to those who just want to hear something that makes them feel good inside but doesn't call them to a life of holiness, that's the kind of message these men are speaking here who are spoken well of by everyone. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not popular. It's a message that divides groups, even families we see in Scripture It's a message that calls people to repentance and a decision of who it is they're going to serve. It's a message that says there's only one way to heaven through one absolute truth for eternal life. It's a message that says you aren't the hero of the story. You do have a problem with sin, and you cannot save yourself. And that is not a message that everyone is going to love or everyone is going to receive. That's certainly not a message that if you speak out to the world, all men are going to speak well of you. But then again, following Christ was never meant to be a popularity contest. 
And when all men, without exception, are speaking well of you, it's because you're making pleasing people the priority and not carrying the word of God and speaking it in truth with love. Look at who this group of people that are spoken well of by everyone are grouped in with, the false prophets that came before them. Now, last week, those who were hated, those who were excluded, he says, for so the prophets who came before you were. But then he tells them, man, great is your reward. You should rejoice and jump for joy. You're in good company. But to those here we see this morning, those who are spoken well of by all men, he said, yeah, so were the false prophets that didn't truly carry the word of God with integrity, but came and just told the kings and the rulers what they wanted to hear. Yeah, you're going to have victory. No, it's going to be all good. No, you're doing everything great, and you're an incredible person, and no, there's nothing you're doing wrong. People that are in sin love to hear the message that they're not doing anything wrong, and that you're great just the way you are, that all roads lead to heaven, and and God can be whatever you want Him to be. That's a, that's a message that to a world that is in sin, that doesn't want to repent, that doesn't want to have to surrender to the Word of God and follow His standard, sounds great. It's appealing. But you don't want to be a part of that company with those men of false prophets who have deceived people, who have led people towards their own destruction. It's the blind leading the blind. There are plenty of teachers in churches today that will tell you what you want to hear. If you want to go to a church that doesn't call your sin, sin, there's a teacher for that. If there's a softer approach to the gospel that's easier to respond to that you're looking for, there's a a teacher for that. If you want to be uplifted and laugh on Sunday mornings without a call to repentance or a challenge from Scripture, there's a teacher for that. If you just want a TED Talk on Sunday mornings where you learn a couple cool facts and you get to walk out there and discuss them over lunch, there's a teacher for that. Kind of like there's an app for that, right? There's just about a teacher out there for anything you'd ever want to hear. And churches are in abundance. And if you don't like that one, well, I'll go to this one because I feel better there. I'll go to this one because I always leave happy. And the other one, I was always feeling challenged. I'll go to this one because there's a lot of things in Scripture I wrestle with, and that church doesn't even open a Bible. That's, that's my church. People with itching ears that want to feel good about themselves, they'll raise up their own teachers. And we see these people raised up. There's huge followings, and everybody buys their book and wants to hear their podcast and wants to listen to their every word because I feel so much better after it. It doesn't change my life. It doesn't transform me. My mind is not being renewed. I'm not being drawn towards Jesus. There's no call to holiness, but I feel good inside. The job of a pastor, a teacher, to be a man of the Word of God who teaches the truth, a man of prayer who prays and shepherds the flock with integrity before God. And I'll tell you what, you have my full permission 
the Sunday we stop teaching Scripture to come on up here to carry me out of this building to find someone else who will teach the Word of God. The truth is absolute and it doesn't change. And we don't come to hear the opinions or the ideas of a man. We come to submit and surrender to the Word of God. Most of you have lived a lot more life than me. You have more experience. You have more life experience in jobs and with families and in your marriages. And if I'm coming up to this pulpit on Sundays and I'm hoping to offer you a word of wisdom from my experience in marriage or from my long life and the jobs I've had and the places I've gone, you're going to be disappointed. I do not have much to offer. But as long as I come and I bring you the Word of God, I promise you that it has more experience than all of us combined in here. It's been around a lot longer than all of us, and it's going to endure forever, and it's not going to change no matter the season or the experience. And so as long as I'm teaching you the Word of God, you can rest assured it has something for you today. As a people that are following the kingdom of God and not the kingdom of man, we don't want to just come and hear what makes us feel good. We want to come and submit to the Word of God. Say, Lord, your Word is truth. So where I don't align with it, I'm submitting and surrendering to it as my authority. And it's going to offend you sometimes. It's going to convict you often. It's going to apply to everyone. But the Word is truth. And the word doesn't change. And scripture says as long as we're hated and we're reviled for his namesake, we're blessed. Because so were the prophets before us who unwavered when it came to God's word and their integrity and speaking it truly. But to those who are spoken of well by all without exception, who tell people what they want to hear, so they can avoid the difficult topics, there will come a day they will give an account before a holy and righteous God who is not going to take lightly their deception and their desire to please men before God. Last week and this week bring this kingdom paradox before us with the reality for every one of us of which kingdom we are going to live for. There are those who have suffered for the sake of Jesus, who have gone without at times, but who will not regret it in the end. And then there are those who have chosen to do it their own way, to follow their own path, to pursue the riches and pleasures of this world, and there will come a day when all of that will run dry and won't be enough. I hope and pray this morning you are living a life God would define as blessed. I hope you've tasted and seen the goodness of God in your life and see clearly what a scam it is to settle for the things of this world, the lesser things, when you've experienced the real substance of Christ and His sufficiency. Because to be a, pa- be a follower of Christ, to be a part of His kingdom, means we're a people who have an eternal mindset, who are in it for the long game, who aren't just looking for pleasures today but who are gladly laying those aside that we might pursue a greater treasure, a greater kingdom, a greater pleasure in the presence of God for eternity. And as I invite Lindsay to come up here 
this morning as we close with a time of responding and, and worship and prayer. I want to do a little bit of a, a call response this morning that's a little different. Now, absolutely, we want to give the opportunity, if anybody here does not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, if you have not made that decision to live for His kingdom and not the kingdom of this world, we want you to make that decision today. But also, I want to think about the people in this room who have made that decision and yet maybe have found themselves straying into living for the kingdom of this world once again. Because remember, Jesus looked to, to His disciples when He gave this message. He's looking to the followers of Him and He's saying, man, Woe to those who are living for this and for that, who are full, who are laughing now, who are spoken well of by everyone, who are rich. And I recognize that for each one of us, even if we've made the ultimate decision to follow Christ and we've surrendered to Him, it doesn't mean that we don't still have to make a decision each and every day when we get up to take up our cross, to deny ourselves, and to follow Him. And how easy it can be to leave the cross there by the bedside. To choose, you know what, today I'm actually going to pursue the riches. Today I'm not going to take my walk seriously. I'm just going to laugh. Today I'm going to stop depending on the Lord and I'm going to try and do it in my own strength because I'm full and I'm enough. Today I'm going to compromise the truth because I don't want to have the awkward conversation. I don't want to lose that relationship. So I'm just going to tell them what they want to hear or I'm just going to stay quiet. That's a battle each and every day for us. And I think one of the most important things we can do as the church, especially when we gather together, is to be honest and call it out. It's not to pretend like we're coming in here because we've never done those things and we're all just following the kingdom perfectly. Now, this is a space where we can come together under the banner of grace and be honest about that pursuit of riches, I'm failing in that right now. I've been distracted and I've been, I've taken my eyes off of the Lord and, and I'm following the things of this world. And so here's what I want to do. I want to go through these real quick and I want to ask you to respond. And I want to ask you to stand if, if this represents you and you this morning need to call it out. And under the banner of grace, it doesn't mean you've lost your salvation, but you're recognizing I've just got off course. I've strayed. And this morning, I want to call it out. I want to bring it into the light because I want to live differently. I want to turn back towards the Lord. I want to live for His kingdom. I, want to, I don't want to be tugged down by these things. And so the first one we looked at this morning is, Woe to you who are rich you have received your consolation. So I want to ask if there are those here this morning who feel like, man, I've gotten off course and I'm a child of God and that's my ultimate pursuit. But as I look over the last day, the last week, the last month or season, I've become distracted and I'm, I'm not living for his kingdom. I've compromised in areas where I could have lived for his kingdom, but instead I lived for the pursuit of these riches and these things. If that's you this morning, I want to ask you right now to stand up so we can pray for you. Not because we want to point the finger at you, but because we want to join in praying for you and acknowledging that, man, God's called you to live for something better. And so this morning, we're going to call that out. That's not who you are. That's not the pursuit he's called you to. Anyone else? 
Appreciate that. Thank you for your boldness. Stay standing for a moment. Anyone else? Would you join me in praying for those that are standing at this moment who are being bold enough to acknowledge, man, this is there and I don't like it, but I want to do something about it. Let's pray for them together. Lord, we lift up those this morning, God, who... Lord, we're bold enough to acknowledge where there's been a pursuit that doesn't align with the kingdom they belong to. And Lord, I thank you that they're calling it out, that they're bringing it into the light, that even in that action alone of standing up, it is losing some of its power and grip on them. And Lord, we pray that you would help this morning to draw their eyes back to you, to remind them that all of those vain pursuits, one day they're going to breathe their last breath and they will not matter in the slightest. But when they pursue your kingdom and the things of your throne, those are things that will matter for eternity. God, would you help them once again to see things through an eternal lens, to store up treasures in heaven and not things on earth, And Lord, would you bring godly men and women around them who can help them in that pursuit. Thank you for their honesty this morning, Lord. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. You can sit. Thank you. We move on now to those who are full. To those who are full, to those who are no longer hungering and thirsting for righteousness, to those that are no longer hungering and thirsting for heaven, to those who no longer have a desire for godliness in their life, whatever it may be, maybe you've grown cold when it comes to your devotions in the morning, your time with Christ. Maybe you're just finding so much comfort and pleasure now in the things here. You've lost your longing for heaven and your pursuit of telling others about that future home. But to those who this morning need to acknowledge, man, I've just grown full of the things of this world and I'm no longer hungering for the things I should. Would you stand this morning and call that out so that we can pray for you? for that boldness. Would you join me in praying for those standing this morning? God, I thank you for those this morning standing in this room. Lord, who recognize that the fullness that they might be experiencing is not the best of what you have for them. Lord, I don't know their situation, but God, you know it. Lord, you see it, and Lord, I know that you are pleased with them standing and acknowledging this is not your best for them, and there's a better way forward. God, I pray that you would bring to the forefront of their minds the emptiness of these things that they have been allowing to make them full. Lord, that you would give them a fresh hunger and thirst this morning for righteousness. Lord, that you would give them a hunger and a thirst for your presence in your kingdom. 
And Lord, as we sing, the things of this world would grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace. Lord, I pray even as they leave this place that the things that were enough up to this point just wouldn't be anymore. And Lord, the things that they just had no desire to pursue, though they knew they were the best things for them, that you would give them an increased strength and endurance to pursue them anyway. That they could leave behind the lesser things in this moment and they could pursue the greater lasting things today. And Lord, that you would give them a hunger and a thirst that just cannot possibly be quenched by anything but you. Thank you for their honesty this morning, Lord. I pray this would be the first step in a path moving forward that they pursue and hunger for the things of you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We move on now to those who laugh. Those who have not taken things seriously that they should. Maybe it's a struggle with sin in your life that those around you have called out, that the Lord has made you aware of, and you're not taking it as seriously as you should. Maybe people have told you that's a problem you need to deal with, and you just brush it aside, you push it off, you say you'll deal with it tomorrow, you're laughing when you should be weeping. Maybe it's a relationship in your life that you're not taking seriously and you're, you're laughing about how bad it is because you've just given up hope that it could possibly get better. I don't know your situation. There's a million of ways this could apply, but if, if there is that situation in your life where you recognize, man, I am laughing it off, I am not taking it seriously, would you stand this morning? Would you join me in praying for those that are standing in this moment? God, we lift up those that recognize that there is a a call to seriousness and, and reverence that they haven't been having. And Lord, that could be a, a thing that sin in their life that they need to take seriously for the first time, that they need to cut off that they need to call out, that they need to own and they need to repent of and they need to turn from, or it could be a good thing that they're not pursuing, that they're not taking seriously, that they're not giving the attention and, and pursuit it deserves. God, you know each situation, and I'm thankful that your Holy Spirit reveals the wicked ways within us and brings to us a reality of what that thing is and where we should be without me ever needing to know it. God, as they stand in this moment, as they bring this thing into the light, as they lay it down at the altar, God, I pray that you would replace that laughter with mourning. Lord, that this area that's been taken lightly, maybe for the first time, they would feel the heaviness of it. God, they would see it and feel it and experience it as you do. They would see the effects of it in their life. They would see the ripple effect of it in those around them. 
And God, that today would be the day they could leave here taking that thing seriously. Thank you for their honesty this morning, Lord, their openness to respond to your spirit. God, I pray that you would empower and equip them to now go and walk this out in a way that honors you in their lives. And it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. And finally, we come to those who all men speak well of. And it's not because you've been walking in integrity and truth and doing everything in a way that honors the Lord. It's because you've been too motivated by pleasing men, and you know it. It's because areas where you know you should be speaking the truth, but it's going to create waves, you've just remained silent. And you know there are people that think you're great, that speak well of you, and internally you're going, if only they knew how I really felt about that, or what I really believed, they wouldn't think that. This morning, if that's you, would you stand? Would you call that out this morning and recognize it's far better to seek the, the approval of God than the approval of man? you join me in praying for those that are standing this morning? God, uh, our desire to be liked, our desire to be welcomed and accepted and approved by men, it's a real struggle, God. Lord, it's a real battle that I can even acknowledge in my own life I struggle with at times and I have failed. Lord, I thank you for the boldness of those who have stood up and called it out. Lord, for the openness of those who are willing to say, I've been silent in times I shouldn't have. I've compromised the truth in a way that is pleasing to man, but I know it's not pleasing to God. And Lord, I thank you that even the boldness to stand up in this room and call that out is is going against that desire. Because they're willing to be seen as not perfect in this room. They're willing to let those around them see that they do have flaws and failures and that there are areas of growth that need to take place. God, I pray that you would cover them and everyone that stood up this morning in grace. Lord, that they would be reminded this morning that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And Lord, that you don't cast them out because of their failure, but you call them in to a deeper place of intimacy and holiness with you. Lord, I pray the approval of men would lose its power in their lives. Lord, where there are chains that are binding them from the enemy, where they just feel so motivated and and pushed to have to please someone else, that those would break free today. And God, that they would live for an audience of one. Lord, that the opinion of men would just be nothing to them anymore and that the approval of you would be everything. 
Lord, that where they have cowered in fear like Peter did time and time again, that by the empowerment of your spirit, that like the day of Pentecost, they could go out and proclaim boldly what they once would have denied. Lord, that they wouldn't compromise the truth. God, that they could not remain silent, that their bones inside of them would burn up and that they would have to speak it out because they cannot remain silent on these topics and these issues. And God, that you would be well pleased in them, that they would be a voice of truth and love, that they would be salt and light in this earth, that they would accept that there will be those offended, that they would accept that not everyone will agree, that they would accept that it might cost them relationships in this life, but that what they give up would be seen as so worth it compared to what they gain in you and the family they are a part of and the acceptance they've received as a child of God. For your glory and your honor, And in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Last but not least, I just want to give the invitation. If there is anyone here this morning that you've been living entirely for the wrong kingdom because you've never belonged to the kingdom of God. You haven't surrendered your life to Jesus. You've never made the decision to say, I am a sinner. I'm not the hero of my story. I can't save myself. I need help from someone else. And this morning you're willing to admit Jesus is the one. He's the only way, the only truth, and the only life. And apart from him, there is no salvation for me. If you need to make that decision this morning, man, follow suit. Learn from the boldness of other people. And would you stand this morning so we can pray for you? So we can welcome you into the the family of God and living for the kingdom of heaven and not the kingdom of earth. So anybody that needs to stand this morning make that decision. Well, then as we move in this time into worship and prayer, I want to close with this this quote from John Wesley. I feel like it sets in perspective so well the way we are to value and live for things of his kingdom and not the kingdom of this world. He said, I value all things only by the price they shall gain in eternity. That's what Jesus calls us to as as people that are going to live for his eternal kingdom and not this temporary fading one is that everything of value would be that that continues to gain value into eternity and not that which one day will be worth nothing. Would you join in standing with me as we prepare to worship and sing before the Lord and celebrate the great value that we have found and his eternal kingdom, where there are treasures forevermore that never corrode or wipe away, where there is pleasure forevermore in his presence, and where there's a place for you as a follower of Christ. And as we
close in prayer and then sing out my encouragement to you, man, sing out like you believe that. Sing out as a person that belongs to that kingdom, that celebrates what that kingdom holds for you in a way that's fitting for what has been gained. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you for these last two weeks, getting to look at the the contrasting kingdoms of the kingdom of this world and, and the kingdom of heaven, of those who are blessed and those who are cursed, of those who have a hope of what is to come and those whose only pleasure and consolation is right here and now. Lord, we stand before you recognizing the only reason we have a living hope, the only reason we have treasure stored up for us in heaven and pleasures forevermore is because of what Jesus has done. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. Thank you for the privilege and the honor it is to get to represent your kingdom. And thank you that this church can be a place where we can come in and be honest. That we're a work in progress. That we're not perfect and we're continuing to grow and to struggle along the way, but that we don't have to do it alone. Lord, would you cover us in your grace this morning? Would your spirit move us into a time of worship and praise now? And would all of this be to your glory and your praise? And it's in your matchless name, Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.